Welcome in to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we're back after a week hiatus for reasons we'll get into on the podcast. We are back. We're going to go over the college football week eight team of the week. Also going to look at the top NFL rookie performances from week seven. And we got to talk Jalen Waddell out for the season with an ankle injury. Brutal to see. Going to break him down a bit and then finish this podcast with a second-year standout segment. Look at some of the best second-year performances from Week 7. Remember, this podcast is brought to you by PristineAuction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. We're currently giving away a signed Saquon Barkley jersey. Rate and review the podcast when we'll be choosing a winner next week. are back on two foreign drafts well i say we i am not without i'm without my guy mike renner mike renner for those who don't know is battling some covid concerns got a test hasn't got results back is still waiting on getting another test it's rough so right now i got my guy anthony trash pff analyst pff college football analyst anthony trash trash great to have you on yeah thanks for having me i'm, I'm not mike wasn't on the bachelorette <laughs> i do not like natty seltzers but I'll try and match the top-notch analysis from him. There you go, man. Well, before we get into it, I'd love to give a breakdown on how you started at PFF. Not a lot of people know who you are. You're on the two-minute drill or what's been rebranded as the three high safeties. You've been on some podcasts, Seth's podcast, which I encourage everyone to check out, the college football podcast. But uh, give me a breakdown on how you started at PFF. Yeah, uh, part-time was two and a half, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, then a couple years ago now, yeah, the second season here. Um, so, yeah, just been doing college football and just been – Grinding the tape, as always, diving into the data. <laughs> um, fresh out of college, I am not 12 years old. PFF did not hire a 12-year-old. Um, <laughs> I'm only 17, but it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, been here a couple years now and loving it. We definitely, on the when, when we post clips of you on social and stuff like that, we count how many people say, are you 12 years old? They're just jealous, Trash. I mean, you're out of college. You're 21 years old. Have a really good gig here at PFF. You write about college football. You watch college football for a living. Those guys are jealous, man. I'm just telling you right yeah, now. I'm, I'm Benjamin Button. I'm telling you. Here, <laughs> when I hit 50, it's going to be pristine. I hope so, at least. Getting, there you go, man. That's what I keep telling myself to kind of block out the haters. There you go, man. Well, let's go ahead and get into college football week eight uh, team of the week. You write this every single week on PFF.com. Look at takeaways. Uh, you do a look ahead that's really good. Highlight offensive player of the week, defensive player of the week, and include the college football team of the week. Who was your favorite on this week's team? It's a long list. We'll go over each name in a bit, but who was your favorite on this week's list? So... On offense, I'd probably have to say Graham Mertz because mm-hmm. I was not expecting this guy to be I – mean, he was perfect. He only had one incomplete pass, and it was a catchable ball. I mean, it was a little inaccurate. He was uh, uh, on the run, under pressure, but it was still a catchable ball. And the touch he displayed downfield. I mean, this guy, he's the real deal. And before the season, I put position ranks for every top five at the position in uh, the Big Ten Conference. Um, couldn't put Mertz in there, obviously. We have never seen him. Couldn't put guys like Joe Milton in there. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm ready to put him in there in the top three. I, really? I, I've already... I, Illinois' defense... I'm, I'm sorry, Levy Smith, but it's bad. <laughs> it's really, really bad. But, I mean, you could see the arm talent in his game. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and plus, this is pretty weak conference as far as quarterback play goes. So, that, that was probably my favorite on offense. On defense, 
Jason Owe, that guy. I mean, I have to give props to Michael Penix Jr. for executing that comeback because Owe and Shaka Tony was in his face on that final <laughs> drive. The dude was getting absolutely smoked every single play. I mean, those the Indiana offensive line, I hate to see what that film room looked like that session the next day. But... Yeah, he won seven of his final ten pass rushes that day. Seven of his final ten. Seven That's coming up in final the clutch. Man. Exactly, in, in crunch time when it matters most. So those were my two favorite on there. There was obviously a lot more, but the, those were my two where my jaw drops, and I got a little excited. Yeah, man. Go ahead and go ahead. Go check out the full team of the week on PFF.com if you want to see every name. Graham Mertz of uh, Wisconsin was the quarterback there. Also, COVID patient zero in the Big Ten. I can't believe he tested positive. Could be a false positive. We don't know there. But Brady Christensen was the uh, left tackle of the week. That guy's graded well so much this year. I mean, he's the highest graded offensive tackle, I believe, in all of college football right now there for BYU. On the defensive side of the ball, a couple notable prospects. And this is the Prospects and Rookies podcast here on 241 Drafts. Jason Owe. If you're, you're not on the podcast often, but Mike and I talk about Jason Oway. I'm a huge Jason Oway fan. Uh, basketball background, freakish athlete. His, his burst. His is, burst, his explosiveness. I, I mean, it, it, you look at him, and I, I immediately said he's a better prospect than Ichiro Grossmatos. I think Tony might be, too. Those two guys ranked in, uh, both ranked first and second in pass rush win rate this past, uh, this past week in college football. Two other names, Ifitu Melifanwu brother of the famed Obi Melifanwu, a former second-round pick out of UConn that never panned out uh, with the Raiders. And I think he played with the Patriots as well. But Ifitu looks awesome at outside corner. Little boomer bust. We've talked about it a little bit off-air, but I, I really liked what he did this past week. I thought he was impressive. He obviously made the uh, college football team of the week. And lastly, Trayvon Morick, who had a couple ham- a handful of really good pass breakups. I know uh, Mike Renner, RIP, isn't, uh, isn't on the pod, but he's a big fan of Morick's game. But um, what's your opinion of Melifonwu? I- I'm ready to fall in love with Melifonwu again. I loved Obi coming out, had that freakish athleticism. Melifonwu's in that same boat, great length, great size. I know he's a bit of a roller coaster, but can you get on board? I don't know. I mean, the roller coaster just scares me, but the guy's not going to lose at the catch point. He's at the catch point one-on-one with the guy. He's not losing. I mean, he's he's hasn't allowed a catch on six contested targets this year. Um, didn't allow one in the three against Clemson. And going back to 2018, he's seventh in PFF coverage grade in all of college football on contested targets. So oh, wow. That's what I really like about him there but like we said he's a little too boomer bust for me that, that entire it, it Syracuse secondary yes, it, it is Andre Trill Cisco Williams too. Andre Cisco yeah. also, also obviously out for the season and the Fitu Melifonwu all three though I think are legitimate prospects I think oh, even yeah. Trill Williams is a prospect he was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list a freakish athlete but again they, they, they coach these guys to take risks they have to there's no way all three of these guys have that mentality I think they some of it is internal but i also think they're coached to take risks and jump on balls because they definitely do that last name i'll bring up on the co- college football uh team of the week in week a and remember check out the full team on pff.com it is another guy mike and i are a huge fan of is jeremiah wusu koromoa of notre dame a guy who plays in the slot off a linebacker he'll come up on the line of scrimmage that versatile chess piece with good athleticism making plays on the football this past week really like what he put out this week yeah i mean the guy is i mean like you said super athletic and he's instinctive in coverage and you know, what kind of stood out to me was last year, he got off to a really slow start. It was his full, first full year starting. Um, and But over that course of those final six weeks, and you know, put him in with those Power Five. I know they were independent last year, but including them with the Power Five schools, those final six weeks, it was Michael Parsons, Isaiah Simmons, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa in PFF grade. So that's what I was really kind of keeping an eye on this offseason when we were doing the PFF College Magazine. I probably went and watched this guy probably four more times just because <laughs> it, 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 it's incredible to watch this guy move in coverage. Um, but yeah, he, he was an easy decision there to put him on the team of the week. And I expect him to be on there many more times this year. But I think there was a little bit of concerning with him 
uh, just to start this season too, just because he didn't, that interception, I mean, it was hot. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. But the first four games of the year, he didn't really do a whole lot, and the competition was just as bad. You know, yeah. Duke, USF, uh, Louisville, um, drawing a blank on the other right now. But he, he just really didn't do a whole lot in those games. Didn't do a, did anything bad, which is, I mean, which is great, but he didn't really, you know, be a, wasn't much of a playmaker. And, you know, since we've been talking about, you know, his draft status and everything, draft stock, I think this kind of really helped elevate that and put him into that, you know, top tier status of the position. Yeah, nickname for him, so you don't have to pronounce that name constantly, is the Joker, man. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa of Notre Dame. That's going to do it for the college football week eight team of the week. I want to pivot now. I know we wanted to talk rookies next, but actually let's, let's, uh, let's tie a bow on college football and talk Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell, I think he was on the opening kickoff, broke his ankle out for the season. Absolutely brutal. One of the, my favorite players in this upcoming class. I think he ranks inside the top 15 on PFF's latest big board. I've been banging the table with Mike to put him as wide receiver two ahead of Rondell Moore. And I know we haven't seen Rondell Moore yet, and we haven't seen him in quite a long time since his true freshman season in 2018. But I think Waddle's legit. Before the season ending injury, 25 receptions on 29 targets. Over 120 yards in every single game he played, 557 yards total and four touchdowns. I honestly think, and this was somewhat of a lukewarm hot take entering the season, but I, I'm starting to get more behind it. Maybe with the injury, he comes down a bit. Better prospect than Henry Ruggs. I think he could be a better route runner. I think he's faster, better after the catch. Here's the thing with Henry Ruggs. He didn't have the same jitters, the same short area quickness that Jalen Waddle brings to the table. I think the injury drops him down a bit. Some people were saying day two, if this... If this guy falls to day two, I would be absolutely blown away. I don't think he's going to have an opportunity to, you know, to perform at the Combine, which could bring him down a bit. But I don't know, man. I think we've seen enough from him in 2019 and 2018. It's a limited sample size, only 103 receptions now in his career. But I am getting behind Jalen Waddle as a first-round pick with or without the injury. I mean, he has to be. I mean, <laughs> NFL teams cannot overthink this guy. I mean, he, he, he is a threat to house it from anywhere on the field. You know, he, he's a perennial deep threat. But if you give him a screen... I mean, we didn't really see him, you know, get much screen work this year, but lat- the year before um, when uh, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs were there, I mean, the guy was just was a monster on the screens. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I really do think he's going to be better than Henry Ruggs at the NFL level. And honestly, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Devonta Smith's up there too. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell are better than Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. Really? I, oh, wow. I would not be surprised. That's a take, Anthony. You're coming on the podcast to drop the takes, I man. I, I think – so here's what I'll say. That, so obviously it's a black and white league. Everyone wants a good take here and there. I still think Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy are going to be good NFL receivers. Oh, yeah. We've For seen sure. that no doubt about in that. Denver – even though he's hamstrung by Drew Locke under center. And we've seen that in Las Vegas with Henry Ruggs when healthy. But I just think these two guys are that good. They can be that much better. I like Devontae Smith a lot. I know people have concerns about his weight, his speed, maybe his top speed not cracking that 4-4 mark. But both of these guys have proven ball skills, really good after the catch. Alabama just continues to churn them out. And Mike and I have talked about this guy, the Canadian-born, John Mechie, baby. That guy is also very, very good. He's going to eat up uh, targets in this offense with Jalen Waddell out. You hate to see it. But I don't think this significantly affects his stock. If it does, boo the people that pass on this guy. Because I'm telling you right now, if he falls outside the top 32, it's going to be a steal to draft similar to DK Metcalf. Even though Metcalf dropped for other reasons, I still feel really confident in Jalen Waddle's ability. I need to convince Mike on Devonta Smith. Mm-hmm. I remember dating back to last year's Alabama-LSU game. I, I said something about Devonta <laughs> Smith, and he roasted me for yeah, Mike it. doesn't like Devonta Smith. I know. I, I, I really do think I can understand the concerns I mean, he is, he's, he's a little bit of a twig. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. But the guy is hashtag pretty good at football. 
So I, I, I'm, I'm sold on Devonta Smith. But yeah, there's, I wasn't trying to discredit Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. Those two guys are going to, I think they're going to be stars at the NFL. That just speaks volumes about that personnel package mm-hmm. they had last year. All right, we're going to jump to a, the rookie segment here, highlight some of the top rookies' performances from this past week, and then we're going to pivot to second-year performances. Before we do so, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge Annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge Annual subscription. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help you provi- help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or their website, www.moosefit.co.com.co. In addition to writing the College Football Week 8 Team of the Week, you also stay up all night and day to write the NFL Week uh, 7 Team of the Week. And we had a handful of uh, two rookies make that list, or I think a handful of them. Let's start with Harrison Bryant, who won Offensive Rookie of the Week or Rookie of the Week this past week. Um, Harrison Bryant, the Cleveland Browns tight end out of FAU, was the highest-graded tight end in all of college football in 2019, but fell in the draft because he's not an athlete. He doesn't have good size. And you saw that on the NFL field. Even though he graded really well, you didn't see this spectacular athlete. What he did do well, though, limited mistakes. I thought he had a handful of good blocks in the run game. And then obviously two red zone touchdowns in this one. What did you see from Harrison Bryant? Yeah, I mean, I'm just out here on Saturdays and Sundays taking caffeine shots every 30 <laughs> minutes. But yeah, Harrison Bryant, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, he, it was easy watching Florida Atlantic to you could kind of tell he's not very much of an athlete but it didn't matter when you're playing some of the schools he faced yep. and you know he's kind of just in that awkward no man's land as far as you know his his size goes with his blocking and his athleticism so but I mean I, I was impressed with this one I mean I wasn't expecting with Austin Hooper out and him kind of getting thrown in there to him kind of be the rookie of the week I would have said you're crazy if, mm-hmm. if this would have ended up happening but he did very well and I, I do think he's going to be you know like kind of a I I'm not, I don't think he's ever going to have this type of elite graded performance like he did. Mm-hmm. I, I think that might be something that might pop up every once in a while, every few years. But I think it's a it's a good promising sign for him to you know kind of secure that roster spot for the next. My few years. take is to grade like this 
as the athlete and the size that Harrison Bryant is, you can't have any mistakes, which I don't think he had a ton of in this game. You can't get bullied in the run game, which he didn't, and, and no drops. No drops in this game. That was huge for him. I think Harrison Bryant, I agree with you. He doesn't have the profile to be this dominant tight end in Cleveland, but I think he is a guy that is has a high floor, in, and it's a big, big reason why he graded well at FAU, a high floor in terms of production. All right, He jumping. can bulldoze some, tack, some tackles, too. Yeah, he, he, he broke tackles in this game. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's harder to bring down. Um, jumping to the defensive side of the ball, this is probably my favorite tape of any rookie uh, on the weekend here. It's Devon Hamilton of Jacksonville Jaguars, the former Ohio State defensive tackle. He had some sex success at the Senior Bowl as well. The Los Angeles Chargers offensive line is is a slump buster. I'm telling you, man. He just dominated the interior offensive line. Uh, I think he could not get moved in the run game. Also pushed the pocket a handful of times as a pass rusher. Another guy that, you know, against better offensive lines, he hasn't played well. This is his career-high best game, and I don't think you see it against better competition. But... Mike and I always say this too, with rookies, you have to see it. You have to see you, you have to be good against bad competition before you you get it against better competition. And to see this for Devon Hamilton, a game where he should have dominated, love to see him step up there. Yeah, I it's kind of hard just because like the week before against Detroit, the dude got manhandled <laughs> against the it was a yeah, I mean, he looked so different from week, one week to the next. It looked like a one week one game versus a week 17 game, but instead they were back-to-back. He had a run defensive grade in the mid-20s and then almost puts that elite mark uh, in the high 80s this week. But I agree. It, I mean, he went from getting manhandled to manhandling uh, the Los Angeles Chargers line. So, I, I mean, I do agree with that. I mean, you have to you have to at least have some type of those those performances. Yeah. We, there's some rookies out there that haven't put those together. So, I mean, that, that is one promising sign. That's for I sure. mean, you're just, you, you have, again, you have to do it against guys you're supposed to beat before you do it against better competition. And also, you could say the same thing about other top rated defensive tackles. Derek Brown in week one got absolutely dominated against the Las Vegas Raiders, but has graded well against other offensive lines so far this year. Moving back to the offensive side of the ball, let's talk Brandon Ayuk. Had a good game uh, against the San Francisco, oh, uh, no, for the San Francisco 49ers against the Patriots. I think. The, the, the stuff we said about Brandon Ayuk coming out of Arizona State, we saw against the New England Patriots here. I thought the most impressive rep in route from the slot against press, creates separation, catches it. The other plays run against off coverage, some yak, some explosiveness. And on that deep catch along the right sideline, got away with a little bit of a pick there somewhat. But I, I think it was a great concept from Kyle Shanahan. He comes open on that play. What did you see from Brandon Ayuk? Yeah, I mean, the guy had five explosive plays of 15 or more yards, which tied for the most by a rookie in a single game since 2010. Oh, wow. So, I mean, the guy was cooking. And, it, you know, it kind of goes back to the Hamilton thing. It's, you have to have those types of performances, and that was great to see that he actually did that. I think there was – I'm still not completely sold on where they took him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like there was – they possibly could have went wide receiver first over Javon Kinlaw, maybe went somewhere else there. CeeDee Lamb over Kinlaw would have been pretty impressive. Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was – so there was some there was some stuff there, but I, I mean it was good and it was the same thing with Harrison Bryant. I wouldn't have believed you if you said that he would put up this type of performance, have those five mm-hmm. big plays. But I, I agree one hundred percent. The explosiveness is there for him. You can definitely see it. And you know Kyle Shanahan. If any, if any coach is going to utilize that best, it's Kyle Shanahan. Exactly. I mean that's how Kyle Shanahan can get away with taking Brandon Ayuk as high as he did because he knows how to scheme receivers open. And when you can scheme receivers open as well as Shanahan does, it. it you you take advantage of guys that have this explosiveness. You don't need a CeeDee Lamb, a Jerry Judy to create separation for you because you're going to get it for him. Back to defense. Kenneth Murray, really bad start to the season. 
really struggled out of the gate. I think every off-ball linebacker, rookie off-ball linebacker did. And this week wasn't perfect. He was still slow to the run, in my opinion. I think he's still thinking mid-play more often than reacting. You watch his Oklahoma tape. This guy's flying to the football at the snap. Right now, I think he's thinking too much, getting blocked at the second level, etc. However, the two plays I'll highlight, and he graded well in Week 7, two nice plays in coverage. Had a nice batted pass, and then the, uh, covering Keelan Cole, I think, on a crosser, popped that ball out as well. I, I think... Those are the steps you want to see him take because he is this athlete. You need to be good in coverage. The Los Angeles Chargers are struggling to find coverage linebackers. I think Kenneth Murray took a step in that direction this past week. Yeah, he was top three or top five, if I recall correctly, uh, at the position in PFF grade, which is a very, very promising sign considering, you know, again, that start to the year, those first five games, five or four of those five games under 60 PFF grades. That's in that poor level where you're like, that's bad. That's, That's a concern. So, I mean, that's good. He got that up to an 81.5 this week. I really did like that pass breakup. That, that was pretty hot. So, I, yeah, it's, it, again, it goes back to the theme. Like, that's kind of the theme of the guys we've been talking about lately. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, yeah, at least you're showing you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and now it's all about whether or not you can Because there's the opposite that. end of that spectrum. There's mm-hmm. guys like I, I remember Jerry Tillery of Los Angeles Chargers <laughs> as a rookie. Like, yeah. you're, we, we just kept waiting for him to have this game, have this game against bad competition. If he doesn't do it here, when is he going to do it? And he ended up finishing, what, with an under 40-point overall grade as a rookie and still is struggling? Like, not seeing it as a rookie is big. And I think it was a big reason, too, why we were high on Sam Darnold after his rookie year. Because down that stretch... He started to put it together, started to earn some high grades, and you've even seen some of those flashes as bad as the Jets are now. I think seeing it from Kenneth Murray was a big one. All right, Justin Herbert. I will say this. I mean, what, 300-plus yards, four total touchdowns. From a fantasy perspective, this guy lit it on fire. And even from an NFL perspective, I think he still finished inside the top five among rookies offensively in PFF grade. You turn on the tape and watch every single throw – it's still a bit of a roller coaster. There are more highs than lows, though. It's not a Jameis Winston coaster where it's equal. You know, you're getting 30 picks, 30 touchdowns, whatever it may be. But it's still a bit of a roller coaster. Miss, miss some throws to start that game. Miss some throws even late. However, what I will say, he is hitting on the valuable throws. He's hitting on the valuable throws downfield. Had a really nice dime uh, to number 89 for the touchdown, that slot tight end um, there. Virgil Green in the end zone was great. Richard uh, Guyton down the sideline, and then the Keenan Allen back shoulder early in the game. Like, those are throws that Joe Burrow has not made this season. Those are throws that Gardner Minshew will probably never make in his career because he doesn't have the arm talent. That is why you should be high on Justin Herbert. You should not be high on Justin Herbert because of the box score. You should be high that he's hitting on these valuable throws. And for that reason, I am getting behind the idea that Justin Herbert is having a better season than Joe Burrow so far this year. Because Joe Burrow, as well as he's graded on the underneath stuff, is one of the lowest graded passers on deep throws. Right now through week seven, Justin Herbert just passed Joe Burrow in uh, PFF passing grade. He ranks 16th. Joe Burrow ranks 18th. Justin Herbert hitting on those valuable throws. I'm getting on board with him. He's having a better season. I still side with Joe Burrow. I side with the, the priors. I side with the best season we've ever seen from a college football perspective. But limited to the first seven weeks of this year, I think Justin Herbert is having a better year. I, I would agree with that. And, you know, that I'm still, I'm more confident in Joe Burrow painting out than Justin Herbert. Okay. Just because of those priors and you go back to their college days. And granted, Oregon did not use him properly. Obviously not. Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> what they, happened? they did not let him get vertical. And I mean, there was more horizontal concepts. It, I mean, it was kind of, I, I really do like Oregon. I like what they have cooking there. I like Andy Avalos on the defensive side of the ball, but the offense didn't really look all that well. And I mean, still, there, there were some accuracy issues there. And like mm-hmm. you said, there's been some highs and there's lows this year. And after his first three games, I, I was waiting for the downfall. I, I thought within the, within the next two games, he was going to kind of collapse and we'd kind of all die off the train just because, he, I mean, he was better under pressure than he was in a clean pocket. A lot of those big, big-time throws deep downfield came when he was pressured. 
but the last two weeks he's looked pretty good when he's when he's been clean and you know, mm-hmm. he's been pretty efficient in that regard so I, I i am a little bit more confident on justin herbert but at the end of the day i'm more confident in, in joe burrow panning out to be but i mean granted Justin Herbert surpassed my expectations because Absolutely. Be- before the year, if you said he was going to be in at this point in time, I would expect him to be one of the lowest graded quarterbacks in the NFL. Instead, the guy is making beautiful throws downfield. I-, I didn't think he would ever make. I think Justin Herbert's more than doubled my expectations. That's how good he's played. And I think you look at the box score, a box score again, there was one play under pressure. I think Josh Allen had the pressure. He throws it downfield. It's a drop pick, uh, an inaccurate throw. That doesn't show up in the box score. That is the roller coaster I speak to. And so he had some easy throws missed. He just missed some easy throws. But again, when you're hitting on these valuable throws downfield, 15 plus yards uh, downfield, that I think is when you start to see that success. I also pulled a stat for you. Highest PFF adjusted completion percentage by a rookie through the first seven weeks since 2006. Robert Griffin III, then Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton, Carson Wentz. And he also has the third most big-time throws we've ever seen from a rookie quarterback through the first seven weeks. Those are some encouraging signs. I like the second one, but the first one, if you didn't tell me the other quarterbacks, I would have been, I would have been all on board. But as soon as, RG3. as soon as you started off the list with RG3, I was like, oh, no. RG3 could have been good, though. I mean, he the injuries obviously collapsed his career, but I think RG3 could have been good. Carson Wentz is a bit of a roller coaster himself. Yeah. I, I still feel like if it you're buying into impressive. Justin Herbert to be this consistent, down-to-down, accurate quarterback, I just don't see it. I think... Someone's made the comp to Ben Roethlisberger. Someone's made the comp to Josh Allen. This guy that like has this arm talent, has this big-time throw ability, but is also going to make some bonehead decisions and miss some easy throws. That's a quarterback you can win with in the NFL. It's not as easy as winning with one who's super consistent like some of the elite. However, still really encouraging stuff from Justin Herbert. I'm willing to say that he's had a better start to the season than Joe Burrow so far this year. Uh, now that he's ranked ahead in PFF grade and also seeing this past week. Last guy, and I saved him last for a reason, Trash. Love this guy. Willie Gay Jr., Mississippi State, uh, rookie out of Mississippi State. I think he got one of his you know, first starts in this game. First play of the game, huge run stop behind the line of scrimmage. Flies to the football more than we've seen from Kenneth Murray, more than we've seen from Patrick Queen. Right out of the gate, first snap, flies to the football with a nice run stop. And then he had two pass breakups. One where he's kind of playing the play action, gets his hand up, makes a great play. The other one, on play action, bails back, turns his back to the offense, and then finally comes back to the ball to make a pass breakup and uh, covering um, kind of the middle zone there. Whew. That is why you drafted him. You draft him because he has the speed. You draft him because he can make those plays. Remind me of Reuben Foster in a way, in that he can face the line of scrimmage, turn his back, and still get his head around for the football. Willie Gay Jr., really good grade in this game. I- I'm so excited to continue to see him start. Not in the snow, too, because he was playing in the snow, and it was slippery as hell there. You saw a handful of slips in that game. Willie Gay Jr., though, really impressed with this past week. Yeah, I mean, the guy's athleticism is <laughs> like, I mean, humans aren't supposed to have that kind of athleticism. The guy, those pass breakups, too. I mean, yeah, those. Those were really nice. And, you know, I, I'm kind of, I wish we would have saw him more in college mm-hmm. more than we did just because, yes. I mean, he, like, this is what we saw on that small sample. I mean, he had a coverage grade north of 93, but he only had a couple hundred coverage snaps throughout his entire career. I, I th- think this guy could have been a top 10 pick if he had a full normal college career like anyone else. Just, just and he didn't have the off field stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I meant by yeah. normal, just because, yeah, there, were, there was some stuff there, but it, it, he's starting to come around. You know, he's got put all that behind him, and now he's actually succeeding. So I, I'm, I'm really happy for this guy, and I, I'm excited to see him continue to develop. And I think the Chiefs, they got a big steal. I, I will say this. One of my favorite interviews at the Combine was Willie Gay Jr. I mean, he was a super nice guy. It sounded like he put the stuff behind him, wasn't trying to deny anything. I think he punched, he punched his court, a backup quarterback in the face at Mississippi State. I think it was in the locker room, and then got caught 
cheating on a chemistry test. I think he asked someone to take the test for him. That was the bigger concerns. That's why he got suspended. He's, he accepted that. He realized it was a mistake and is moving forward. I asked him why he, why he cheated on that test. He's like, dude, I'm trying to pass. <laughs> Nothing more than that, trying to pass that test. I, I really am impressed with what uh, Willie Gay Jr. did. I think the sky's the limit for him. Because of all the off-ball linebackers, and in weeks one through four, weeks one through five, Mike and I were talking about, man, these guys are slow to the ball. They're not playing with anticipation. They're, they're thinking too much on the field. Willie Gay Jr. hasn't even started that much this year. And he looks way faster than the football, way more understanding of the game than some of these other off-ball linebackers. Again, really impressed with what he's done uh, for Kansas City. Moving now to the second-year players from uh, Week 7 that we're impressed with, have seven names to bring up. Going to start with A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans, former Ole Miss wideout. I put it, it wasn't, the box score was great. He had that big slant that he took for a touchdown that kept him in that game. I will say this. They didn't play a ton of man on uh, man coverage in that game. They played a ton of off, and he eats against off coverage. They peppered him with targets. Uh, again, a yak, a yak monster, a specimen to bring down, really tough to bring down. But I didn't see, I didn't see dominance that maybe the greater the box score would suggest. Yeah, I mean, that slant made me scream when I saw that pop up <laughs> on red zone. I, I legitimately screamed in my apartment. My neighbors probably thought something was wrong. But I, I have a question for you. Would you rather have A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf? I know oh, my man. answer. Yeah, I battled with it. I'm going, I think I'd go DK Metcalf. You would? I, I think I'd go DK Metcalf because I think DK Metcalf wins the valuable routes in the NFL. And though he'll never be the same, never have the same probably target volume and, and reception totals as AJ Brown, maybe he won't have the yak totals. I still think that there is value in having a guy like DK Metcalf that can win 15 plus yards downfield, regardless if it's off coverage, man coverage, double coverage. It doesn't matter. This guy is a specimen down the field. You even look at DK Metcalf so far this year and you say, oh man, he's had such a dominant season. He's on pace to be you know, one of the better receivers in the NFL. And you look at his um, charts here, I'm pulling him up. He hasn't had more than uh, he's had more than five receptions in a single game just once, and that was against Minnesota with six. He's not he ha- he's only had over 100 yards in two games this year. But what he's doing is winning downfield yards per reception is over 20 yards so far this year. When you're doing that, I don't care if you're only averaging what four yard or four catches a game. It's those routes, it's those receptions that matter, in my opinion. I agree with that. I I, I honestly thought you would say AJ Brown, and I, I would think. <laughs> the public majority would agree i mean with with aj brown i think it is kind of to who your quarterback is because i mean if you have yeah, russell wilson that's true it's dk metcalf no, you can't even argue that but yeah i'm, I'm going with dk metcalf that guy yeah, i mean that chase down or that pick six oh, that, was, that was <laughs> that is going to be played on loop across it, it, the country it looks like they edited him and made him look bigger than he actually was it looked fake but i saw someone uh, on twitter when we you know like the next gen stats dots showed that play someone said that his dot should be bigger i agree i mean this guy's just a hoss man i, I cannot believe uh he was able to hock that guy down uh, i thought when you were first phrasing that question you're gonna say aj brown or terry mclaurin because that i think there's more conversation to that and people give credit for because i think terry mclaurin is one of the better route runners in the NFL. He's he, he's second in the NFL behind Alvin Kamara in total yards after the catch this year, something we didn't see from him as a rookie, but now he's blowing up from a yak perspective because they're getting him involved near the line of scrimmage. Absolutely burnt Trevon Diggs to a crisp this past week. I really like Terry McLaurin, too. I think him and A.J. Brown are two of the better second-year receiver, second receivers in the NFL. DK Metcalf also up there. All right, jumping to the defensive side of the ball here, Dexter Lawrence. He has been... One of the highest-graded second-year players so far this year. Really dominant against the run. I put a movable force in the run game this past week. He can also push the pocket. I thought he pushed the pocket well. Uh, One double team, I thought he got played out a bit. And then there was a forced fumble or a near-forced fumble on Boston Scott in the goal line where he scraped down the line of scrimmage. Dexter Lawrence, one of the best defensive tackles in the game right now, in my opinion. Wow. 
I, I I'm a little bit sounds like I'm a little bit more concerned with him than you are. I, I will agree. The guy was a monster from a pass rushing perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of his best games of his career. I mean, last year as a rookie, he was one of the higher graded rookies of uh, the 2019 class, but it was mostly from a run defense perspective. He did have 30 pressures, but about a third of those were a cleanup or unblocked pressure. So you kind of have to throw those out mm-hmm. when you're kind of looking into that pass. And the pass rush grade reflects it, just a 64.5 pass rush grade last year. Um, but yeah, this this time around, 90.4, um, 20, 25% win rate, 24% win rate on the night. I, I just still am a little bit concerned just because in the weeks prior, he only, he had one pressure in all but two games. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm still a little bit concerned f- from him in that regard. But I do think from a run defense perspective, he's there. He, I mean, he has yeah. it. But, you know, again, it goes back to the positional value thing. It's just how much does that really matter? True. You, I mean, I think we need to see we need to see more of these Philadelphia Eagle games that he just had on, you know, on a, on a regular basis before we can start. I, I would throw him into the conversation of one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. Fair but, enough. I, I also think, though, there is something to the Dexter Lawrence types that can two-gap, that can get double-teamed and open up one-on-ones for other you know, other penetrating defensive tackles. There's value in that. I know it's not as valuable, obviously, as other positions in the NFL, but I think if the New York Giants did have someone that could really push the pocket, really penetrate, like a, you know, a Geno Atkins type in his prime, um, Mike Daniels in his prime, Kenny Clark, those guys that don't necessarily win. And Maurice Hurst is a good example. I think if the New York Giants had one of those to pair with Dexter Lawrence, we'd see a lot of success from this group. But right now, it, it's a tough defensive line. They don't have a lot, they don't have a good edge presence. I think Leonard Williams obviously hasn't panned out at former number three overall pick. Uh, but I agree with you from a positional value perspective. The run game, though, the, 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 okay, let, I'll rephrase one of the better run defenders, one run, run defensive tackles. He, he's kind of like the, the cherry on top mm-hmm. of like a, a good contending yes. team. He's, he's the cherry on top. Uh, a big-ass cherry, that's for damn sure. <laughs> uh, moving back, Gardner Minshew, you wouldn't have thought it going in, you know early in this game that he would grade out as one of the better second-year players in Week 7, but kind of turned it around. He was, there was rumors that he was going to be benched if he didn't play well in this game. It did not start well for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but rallied a bit. I, I thought, you know, to start this game, bad throws, took some really bad sacks, but then started to rally kind of towards the end of the first quarter, second quarter. Really nice throws. Throws with anticipation. Has to if he's going to be good in the NFL. Had the, obviously that dime over the top to uh, Conley that I think touched the moon. I mean, that was such a moon ball. It was crazy to see the trajectory on that. And then also, handful of nice scrambles, one of which was called back by a holding. Um, but then you saw him kind of revert back to the crumbling in terms of taking bad sacks, holding onto the ball, missing some throws late in that game, and it ultimately cost him that. My question to you is not so much this performance, because I think it was a quintessential Gardner Minshew performance. What should the Jacksonville Jaguars do at the quarterback position in, in April's draft? Yeah, well, first I'll say what I, <clears throat> what I think they want to do. Mm-hmm. There is no reason, if you are trying to be a competitive football team, you would bench Gardner Minshew for Mike Lennon and think you're actually going to be better. <laughs> Very fair. They, they, the only reason why they're going to bench him is because they want Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Exactly. And I think that's exactly what they should do. I like Gardner Minshew. I, I love his story. And he doesn't have the best physical tools, but you, you nailed it. Anticipation, touchdown, field, that's how he wins. That's how he was a top three graded passer as a rookie on deep balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has one of the, he doesn't have a strong arm at all whatsoever, but that's how he wins. And so, you know, I, I feel like he's going to be a very good backup. He, I, he's going to be one of the best backups in the NFL. He's Ryan Fitzpatrick, man. I've, I've been saying it for a while. He's Ryan Fitzpatrick at his I peak. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is a great backup quarterback in the NFL. 
but not a guy that can take you deep. I mean, he's never been a guy that can take you deep in the postseason. There's a reason Tua Tungavailoa is starting for the Miami Dolphins in Week 8. Like, they know they're limited from a ceiling perspective with Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Jacksonville Jaguars know they're limited from a ceiling perspective with Gardner Minshew. And I think if they play themselves into a situation where they can take one of these big names, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, I don't think they draft number one overall. I don't think they get their shot at Trevor Lawrence. But even there's other quarterbacks that maybe late in the first round, early day two, Zach Wilson, you know, maybe Kyle Trask. I know you're not a big fan, but he could go because he has the tools or whatever it may be. Uh, Mac Jones, like there are quarterbacks. Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman. There are quarterbacks in this class where I think the Jacksonville Jaguars swing the bat if they are in a position to do so. I'd love to see Justin Fields in this offense. So I'd love to see with the tools they have, or not the tools, the, the players they've added. I like LaVisca Chanel, DJ Chark. I think they continue to add pieces along the offensive line. I, I am realizing, fully realizing that their ceiling is limited with Gardner Minshew under center. And I think the Jacksonville Jaguars want to move on when the timing's right. They're not going to force it. They're not going to force a quarterback in this situation, pull a Minnesota Vikings and give Kirk Cousins a monster deal. But I do, I do think if they are drafting in a position where they can take one of these big names at QB, they're going to do it in 2021. Wait, so I think, I think he's going to, I'm kind of nervous for this next game against Houston coming up. That's the only one I'm scared about. But I think if they lose that one, they get Green Bay and then Pittsburgh. Gardner Minshew is not going to play good in those two games. I can tell you that right now. Blitz, Blitzburg is going to make life healthy. That's going to be rough. I'm interested to know and that that's spread. That's going to be get a 10-point-plus spread. That's yeah. going to be ugly. Is it in Pittsburgh? Uh, it's in Jacksonville. Okay. But I, th- I think within the next three games, we're going to see him on the pine. And I, I, it, it's apparent that they want to put him on the bench right now and just fold the season, go into the tank. And I think – I don't understand why more teams aren't tanking this year because, for one, you have – generational prospects right up there mm-hmm. with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. I would throw Justin Fields up there with Trevor Lawrence in that regard. How good did Justin Fields look? We didn't even bring him up. But I, Justin Fields looked fantastic. I, it wasn't even, it was one of those things where you're like, oh, that's cool. Another great performance. He, he got lucky on one throw. I was really impressed with his arm talent and I continue yeah. to get more and more impressed with his rushing ability. Like I think he can be a legit dual threat runner in the NFL, something that every NFL team wants right now, seeing Josh Allen have success on design runs, Kyler Murray have success. Everyone wants that athleticism. I mean, Daniel Jones even had the 80 yards camper. Everyone wants that athleticism at the quarterback position. And um, man, Justin Fields, someone made a Cam Newton comp. I think he's Cam Newton 0.75 at most because Cam Newton was just like a rare breed from a physical tools perspective. But I think he could have a similar impact. He has that arm talent. He has that athletic ability. Uh, it's a shame we couldn't mention him. It didn't beat, beat out Graham Mertz for college football team of the week, but still played yeah, a hell of a it, game. It was close, but yeah, Graham Mertz won that one. But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't understand. Right now, you don't have a whole lot of fans in the stands. Most teams don't. Um, so that's the biggest issue with tanking. You want people to show up. You don't want to be the laughing stock. And mm-hmm. You see the TV pan and you have no fans in the stands. You're losing all this revenue. You don't want that. This is the year to do it. Yeah. If you're a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Atlanta Falcons, where you, especially the Atlanta Falcons, you have trade assets, it's going to be really hard to unload the Matt Ryan contract, but it's doable. I, why not? I mean, this has set you up for the next 15 to 20 years. I don't think you're going to find these, these Especially types of if that heartbreaking loss to Detroit. I mean, this is yeah. over. Like, the season is done. You're not, you know, Tampa Bay is rocking. New Orleans Saints are winning football games. I agree with you. I think they should. Not have a fire sale, so to speak, but move on from some of the older pieces, some of the older veterans, and try and get in a position to get at least Justin Fields. Yeah. Maybe you don't beat out the Jets for Trevor Lawrence, but at least Justin Fields, because this is a team in need of a rebuild, flat out. Um, jumping back to the defense side of the ball for a second-year player, uh, we can move on this one quick. Josh Allen, like Devon Hamilton, went against the Chargers offensive line, dominated those offensive tackles uh, pretty well, played really well in the run game, continues to look impressive as a pass rusher. Josh Allen, I think, finished with what? A top six pass rush win rate. 
in the PFF era among rookies and is already kind of taking that step in his second season. What was your uh, opinion of Josh Allen this past week? I think it's kind of the um, – I think it's – again, it's bad offensive line. He kind of did this a few weeks ago against Miami. But I think it's the start of a breakout. Kind of that getting into maybe that top 15 type of status at the position. Um, right now, 78.4 pass rush grade for the year. And that's not you know carried heavily by one elite graded pass rush. I mean, he's been pretty solid throughout the last four games. So I, I'm optimistic on Josh, Josh Allen. I, I think he's starting to – turn the corner and kind of take that second year breakout step back to offense kyler murray i thought he looked really good against seattle had a dime to hopkins down the left sideline that was truly impressive does it effortlessly there was another deep out route to hopkins on the left sideline that was just like there's only a handful of quarterbacks in the nfl that can make these throws and when kyler murray does it he makes it look effortless uh pressured nine times Zero sacks. I mean, that that is something that gets underrated. Gardner Minshew prays for that type of conversion rate. Uh, the rushing ability, arm talent. I, I mean, the only blemish on this one and reason why he probably didn't grade as well as he did, that pick was disgusting. I mean, it was kind of under pressure. Andy, Bizzle, Andy Isabella was open and just sails it, just sails it for the easy pick. That was the only concern I really saw or the big concern I saw from Kyler Murray. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not comparing him to these two players as far as complete play style from top to bottom goes, but he really much reminds me of... Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, as far as the consistency goes, mm-hmm. you know, early it's Russell Wilson, he came out on fire his rookie year, but then consistency continuously over the next few years. Deshaun Watson still battling that issue. You, you know, you'd have these great games. He'd come back. He, even, he had this last year, too. There was a stretch. I think it was around weeks five through 11. He was playing really good ball near top 10 in uh, PFF grade, but then collapsed with two of the worst graded games we've ever seen mm-hmm. last year. And so I, I kind of see him in that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, he follows on that path here in a few years. He gets that MVP level, but I, I'm just not so sure he's gonna, going to. That's not to say I don't like Kyler Murray. I love Kyler Murray. I think he's going to be a great quarterback. But I, I just I, I think he's still battling that consistency issue with that and just with you know his play style. But yeah, I mean, he did have some incredible throws there. I mean, last year, one of my favorite things to pull up in our database is looking at those over-the-shoulder throws. Mm-hmm. I mean, that he just had seeds after seeds. <laughs> I mean, it, it the vertical leads, man. He's got them. Yep. I mean, he can exactly. definitely hit those. Uh, and with the consistency, too, I think that can get understated in PFF's grading. Or no, what can get understating in PFF's grading, though he is inconsistent, is what having arm talent and athletic ability that Kyler Murray has brings to your offense and allows you, allows you to do different things. And I think th- that is a big reason why for the longest time before PFF kind of came to the float or advanced analytics and football came to the NFL really and scouting and evaluating talent was why arm talent was the biggest thing. You know, can he throw 40 yards on his knees? What, what, what does the arm look like? Can he, can he push it downfield? What, what, I need a guy with a rocket because that is what will help me on offense. That is why, you know, old, you know, evaluators covered it so much. And into this day, while we look at down to down accuracy, we look at consistency, avoiding sacks, these different things that are more quantifiable and not as easy to see with just one flick of the wrist. But I do think something that we should pay more attention to as we evaluate quarterbacks moving forward. Gardner Minshew was the highest graded quarterback in all of college football or near two when he came out. But the reason he wasn't great or wasn't highly evaluated was the um, obviously the arm talent while guys like Kyler Murray, Josh Allen get coveted for being able to put it anywhere they want. All right, Brian Burns. Been waiting to bring this guy's name up as well. Right now ranks second among all edge defenders in the NFL and PFF pass rushing grade right behind Pittsburgh Steelers' TJ Watt. And I will say this, absolutely ruined James Hurst, the left tackle for the, for the New Orleans Saints on the strip sack, and also beat Ryan Ramchek on an inside move. They have him playing some off-ball linebacker there, too, filled in on a run snap. 
I will say the high end for Brian Burns is absolutely insane. He has flashes that no edge defender can really match. However, the consistency is a concern because the guy still doesn't have a changeup. When I interviewed him you know, before the draft, biggest thing he said, I need a speed to power move. I need a bull rush or else I can't just keep winning outside in the NFL. He has the inside move. It hits sometimes, but quarterbacks are well known to kind of bail out of that in, in, in ways. I still think he needs that speed to power to be like a truly dominant edge rusher in the NFL. And he's still not a dominant run defender by any means, but the high end, the flashes, when he nails that speed rush like he did against James Hurst, there's not a prettier rush in football. Yeah, I mean, that that is a very, very good point you make there with him. Every single time I hear Brian Burns, I always think back to when uh, week two against Donovan Smith. Yes. I, I felt bad for Donovan Smith. That's one of my favorite pass rushes of the year so far. The dude just absolutely put him in a blender and split him around. But yeah, I, I think that's a very good point with him. And I, I think if, in my opinion, from my perspective, I think he's doing better than I thought he would for that reason. I, he is performing at a very high level right now. 90.3 pass rush grade. I, I, I would not have expected that. So I think... You know, given that issue, I mean, he's still producing. I mean, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, all, all three of his sacks this year, I believe, are strip sacks. And when you're winning emphatically with those sacks, it's going to get highly rated in PFS pass rush. Because right. that, that's a more valuable play. I mean, getting a sack on a pursuit pressure is not as valuable as getting a freaking strip sack 1.5 seconds within the play. And that's what you see from the high end in Brian Burns. Last name we'll mention on the Anthony Tresh and Austin Gill version of two-for-one drafts. We might have you back in for Thursday. Who knows? Who knows when Mike Renner will get back from COVID? He's doing fine. Asymptomatic right now. He's doing fine, but still needs to rally to a negative test to get back in studio here. Last name we'll bring up, Deontay Johnson. Uh, The the box score looked better, targeted 15 times in this game. Obviously, Ben Rosberger loves the kid. Had that bad drop, though, on a dime from Ben Rosberger in the end zone. What what impresses me, though, is he he still moves different, still really good after the catch, and how... They, they went to him consistently on key downs. Third downs, they consistently threw him the football, and he came down with it. I still think that Deontay Johnson, when healthy with Big Ben, is going to be this fantasy producer, and also those drops will regress a bit, and I think you'll start to see him really dominate when he gets those single-coverage looks. Still one of my favorite receivers in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he's the prime example of you know why we, I think the NFL doesn't value after the catchability as much. I think we're starting to get there just a little bit, but I, his after the catchability is, is nuts. And I have another another would you rather question? Would you rather have him or Chase Claypool? If, you, if thinking you had to take your own team. Oh wow! I I think I would probably take Deontay Johnson. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, it's been a small sample on Chase Claypool. It's just because of what he does in space because yeah. it's nasty. I would take Deontay Johnson as well because not only does he do, do insane things in space, and when given the opportunity to return kicks, he's also good there. I also think that. His separation ability is a bit underrated. Like, he can get open downfield. He can create separation against single coverage looks. So, Deontay Johnson doesn't have the hype some of these other second-year receivers do. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. Due in large part to health, the drops, etc. But I do think when he puts it together, it's it's some of the prettier plays in football, that's for sure. All right, Tony, Anthony, it's been a fantastic podcast. That's going to do it for 2 for one Drafts. Uh, until next time, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment for us to go over on the Thursday edition. But until next time, Austin Gale, Anthony Tresh, 2 for one Drafts.